You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Salah with me, Walid Ahmad and Imam Tukitanweed. The time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 6th of October, 2023. Uh, the Breakfast Show is an interactive broadcast. It means that our listeners have the opportunity, should they want to uh, avail it, to uh, join in any of the discussions taking place. All you need to do is to dial 0208-687-7878 and hopefully you'll be put through to share your thoughts uh, with us on, as I said, anything that we may be uh, considering during the course of this program. Uh, you can, of course, uh, use uh, Twitter or should I say uh, the X, uh, uh, in order to communicate. Uh, our Twitter, ha- our handle uh, is uh, Voice of Islam UK, so you can post your comments on X uh, should you wish to do so. Uh, there are going to be a variety of subjects, as always, uh, that we deal with. Um, we will be considering some uh, news items that uh, are circulating around in the within the Ahmadi Muslim community, and also in the wider community, uh, not spending too much time on each, but try, we'll try and rattle through as many of them as uh, possible during the first half hour, after which we'll be honing in on two topics that uh, we will dwell on a little more. The first of these is uh, entitled as well, is to do with work and ethical issues. Um, so the topic quite simply is work ethics and how often do we follow them. So that's the uh, uh, title of the first uh, topic. Um, we spoke uh, to uh, uh, Tuti Tegali um, on this. Uh, she's a coach for entrepreneurs. Uh, so we'll be sharing what she had to say during this segment. And we also hope to uh, speak to Jalees Khan. Jalees is a missionary of the Ambi Muslim community. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, find out his take on this particular topic, work ethics. How often do we follow them? If you're interested in that particular topic or to learn more about it, then do please uh, make a point of uh, remaining tuned in during uh, this uh, political slot. It's between 7.30 and 8.15. Moving on to a second main topic, we'll be looking at what troubles us all in one way or another but uh, those of an advanced age in particular, and that is working, or the workings of our memory. Uh, the topic uh, we're addressing is how do, does memory work? Uh, gems to attaining knowledge. We'll be considering this topic with the help of Professor of Brain and Cognitive Sciences at the University of Glasgow, Edwin Robert, Robertson. And of course, like always, uh, we will have the Islamic standpoint on everything that we discuss, which will be uh, provided to us by Imam Toki Tunwi mainly. So without further ado, let me pass on the uh, uh, microphone to him. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing this morning? Uh, fine. Uh, so I know you've had uh, your gathering and uh, the uh, gathering of all the youth. So now it's the elders' turn. So we're getting ready uh, to s- s- kick off, if mm-hmm. I can use that phrase, uh, with our gathering. That's going to be happening uh, today, tomorrow, and the day after, Sunday. 
Absolutely, and yeah, as you mentioned that we did have our Amdiya Muslim Youth Association gathering, um, and uh, this this was in uh, in King in Kingsley, mm-hmm. um, in a Alton, um, and uh, mainly I I was involved with the academic side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would have to say, by the grace of Allah, the Almighty, uh, it was uh, the, the event was very it ran very smooth. The weather itself uh, wasn't any hindrance um, oh. because sometimes, <laughs> if the weather is bad, it can sometimes become a hindrance as well. Um, as you know, the the carpets can tend to get wet as well when yeah. people start coming into the main uh, main uh, marquee. Um, so so what what they do last year what we did was we started putting plastic sheets on the entrances so because uh was it raining then it, it wasn't raining this year but it was last year so we didn't have any issues as we did last right. year with the okay. carpets um the the thing was um where the in the marquee was also the accommodation so the academics will start at 9 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we had to get everyone up who was sleeping in the mm-hmm. in the main marquee as well. So that was a bit of a challenge. Uh, but we, we tried our best to clear and, you know, people were very cooperative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from 9 to 12, that's when our uh, competitions commenced. We had different range of competitions such as uh, the members would recite portions of the Holy Quran, uh, they would read couplets of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, couplets which he wrote um, on, the, on 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 love of Allah the Almighty and different topics. Uh, so that was also taking place. There was also team quiz where we had uh, quiz on Islamic topics on. Uh, religious topics on sports topics so uh, th- there was a wide range of, range of activities uh, that we had for the youth members and uh, a lot of them <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it so <laughs> a lot of them gave their feedback as well so uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know we'll we'll definitely take that on board and uh, next year we'll we'll come back with more initiatives and uh, exciting exciting initiatives so uh, how did your burgers go <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I'm, I'm glad you remembered that. Oh yes. Um, we actually had. Uh, I'm. I'm not going to name who it was. Uh, one of our senior brothers, missionary. Mm-hmm. He particularly came to us and he said to us that, "Look, I've done." Um, so for the listeners uh, that mm-hmm. don't know, last before the event, me and brother Valiza, we were talking, and I mentioned that uh, we had a crossword competition and uh, we had different tasks in in that in in on that sheet such as have you have you greeted 100 people with assalamu alaikum have you read all your five daily prayers at the site so there was various tasks uh, that we told khudam to do and there was a, one very senior uh, missionary he came to us and he said i've completed all of the tasks can i please get my free burger meal <laughs> oh, you were giving a burger meal. Yeah, so what we would do is oh, we we would a burger. We, yeah, we, it was a whole meal. So we would sign uh-huh. it, we would stamp it, mm-hmm. and then after that they could go to the the bazaar area and they could buy themselves uh-huh. a burger meal. Right. Uh huh. So did he sell many? 
We oh, did you get through many? We actually only had uh, about thirty. We okay. they they the they told us that we can't give out more than thirty burger uh, <laughs> meals. <laughs> so okay. one third of it was uh, uh-huh. was pe- people that knew about it came to us. Okay, that's that's good. Right. I we were waiting for you so maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'd show up. Uh. Yes, um, yeah, maybe I should have come. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, other other duties um, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, and and you mentioned mentioned the this weekend will be the uh, the Muslim Elders Association. Yes. Uh, they they will also be taking the event and just in terms of the weather as well for a lot of the members that are coming uh, just a little forecast is that uh, this from bbc weather today the this uh, morning will remain dry and fine with plenty of sunshine in the afternoon a few patches of fair weather cloud may develop moderate to southwesterly winds uh, that is the forecast for today and over on uh, saturday the weather forecast is that tomorrow morning is expected to be dry and partly cloudy but the afternoon looks to see extensive sunshine develop a warmer day so the the weather is looking promising and uh, you know we, we do uh, hope and pray that it remains uh, good yes. throughout the event as well and i don't think we'll be uh, we'll be distributing any burgers <laughs> ourselves <laughs> I, i mean i i have heard from uh, from the a lot of the members they are uh-huh. saying that the menu is always really good too when it comes to yes. when it comes to um, when pro- it comes to these events yeah i know for for the elders yeah, we we tend to um, binge on stuff but uh, yeah it's not really healthy for, for example I, uh, someone was telling me that for breakfast they have <laughs> yes and halwa puri uh, yeah and uh, and for the listeners that don't know pie is this is the leg part of the yeah, of the, the of trotters, the yes of the, uh, trotters they called yeah and and they're very heavy as well right yeah <laughs> yes you can see <laughs> to to digest um not not particularly no uh, but yes they 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 do have a, their own uh, special effect mm. yes mm. and special taste Yes, so yes, we do have uh, this kind of uh, cuisine uh, among the elderly. Yes. And and uh, will you, will you also be having any duty during this? No, uh, I'm giving a presentation on Saturday at at ten uh, o'clock. Mm. So I hope everybody's uh, uh, noted that down. What was the topic? It's on um, the uh, prophecies of the Holy Quran. Okay, I'll, I'll try mm. to make some time. Take time off. Yes. So that that's uh, I think um <coughs> mostly on Saturday there will be um, sports in the morning and then I think ac- uh, academic and mm. speech um, and uh, academic and speeches um and um similar events during uh, uh the rest of the day and on on Monday morning on Sunday morning sorry good so yes it's a, it's a very full program and um that uh, we're not going to Kingsley or uh, Alton but we are actually uh, organizing be, it here you'll be ha- happening at the complex itself yeah yeah mm. so so i think it won't uh, it probably be the last year we'd have it here because it's taking up a lot of space that uh, um exists in, on the complex and uh, may not be feasible because every year we seem to be growing in numbers 
Yeah, and, and even at the end, the Muslim Youth Association, the, the number, it almost went up to 7,000. So to really? accommodate that big of a number, it's, uh, you know, you need a very, very big, big space. Mm. It's amazing how we've grown, isn't it? I remember yeah. in 1998, the last system I went, uh, and that was, uh, we had uh, just over a thousand, wow. just 1,000. Wow. So you're talking about 7,000 now. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Within a span of 25 years. Yes. Yeah. So it's uh, it's amazing how we're growing. Okay, so I've calculated your age as well now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well done. <laughs> See? So I think the the administration chose the right person for academic events. Yes. <laughs> okay, well done. Um, other news, well, um, what's been uh, agonizing uh, minds, especially um, in the political arena, is this uh, decision that, uh, well, and people in the North particularly, uh, this decision that HS2 has been terminated, uh, the much-suffering rail project uh, connecting the north with the south uh, has been abandoned. The line at present being completed between Birmingham and Old Oak will not now uh, uh, move on from Birmingham to Manchester as planned. There was a second leg as well, uh, which was proceeding to Leeds, now that also was abandoned, that was abandoned a while ago. But now this is also now uh, being dumped. Uh, needless to say, many in the south are, uh, are not too perturbed, but in the north they are very dismayed at uh, being neglected in this way. The Prime Minister who made this announcement on Wednesday was at pains to point out that uh, they were not being neglected. Uh, because the £36 billion that he said we'd be saving will be invested in uh, transport links in the north itself, uh, connecting the east uh, and the west uh, and the midlands, and he listed a series of measures that would achieve this. Uh, this is not going to be, well, it's not going to be easy for the Conservatives. Uh, in fact, it's going to be quite tough for the uh, Conservatives in the next election, especially in retaining the Red Wall Street seats in uh, in it won in the last election. This may well be ex- exacerbated by the threat of uh, Conservative Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street. Um, the threat he hasn't carried out, but there was a threat anyway, that he said that abandoning it was uh, turning back on a once-in-a-generation opportunity to level up the country and be damaging our international reputation as a place to invest. Uh, Three former Tory prime ministers, Boris Johnson, Theresa May and David Cameron, are also against this move move that uh, they end up ditching HS2, moving up to Manchester. Uh, And this doesn't bode well for a united party. The case for abandoning the project is an economic one, appears. The cost of the project, when initially announced, was just 30 billion. Uh, It has now ballooned to 100 billion. And it is felt that money could be better spent elsewhere. And the uh, Prime Minister may have a point here. But um, at huge political cost, uh, Henry Morrison, chief executive of uh, Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said it would be madness to scrap 
what was meant to be the UK's uh, flagship infrastructure project. Uh, it may not be a done deal um, just yet because um, there is going to be a vote in Parliament on this and a good number of uh, Tory MPs may vote against it. So uh, it may still be rescued, but I think uh, um, we may not. And I think Labour haven't come out uh, with any definitive um, statement saying that they would retain HS2. Uh, they're very much, uh, as with many uh, policies, uh, sitting on the fence. Um, and I think um, they're, just <coughs> they're justified in doing that uh, because it is uh, um, politically... Uh, <clears throat> politically right for them to, it seems politically right for them to do so. Uh, they are, uh, uh, of course, doing well uh, as far as the polls are concerned, uh, and that uh, has been reflected in the recent result um, only this morning. Uh, Rather Glen and Hamilton West was the seat that was being fought for uh, after the um, uh, removal of. Uh, uh, the M SNP MP there for uh, contravening COVID rules. Uh, so that uh, particular by-election was won handsomely by Labour. Michael Shanks uh, is the new MP. And uh, he won it with a huge majority and uh, a 20.4% swing from the SNP. Uh, the Conservatives lost their deposit and SA SNP came uh, poor second. So it bodes very well for uh, the um, the uh, Labour Party come the next election. But um, uh, it should be um, said and should be mentioned that seldom do by-election results reflect fully uh, in general elections. Uh, but they are an indication nevertheless. Now, the other um, interesting um, uh, story that... Uh, uh, the Times was relating is regarding tea, the drinking of tea. Uh, it can apparently ward off diabetes. So this is something that was reported in the Times of the 3rd, uh, what, three days ago. Uh, and um, it's based on a study that was carried out at the University of Adelaide and Southeast University in China. So these results suggest uh, that those who drink tea have a 28% lower risk of contracting type 2 diabetes than those who do not drink tea at all. Uh, those who drank dark fermented tea uh, were also 15% less likely to be diagnosed with pre-diabetes. So it's an impressive study, but um, it was limited to just uh, 1,923 adults, mostly women in China, uh, perhaps if the study was expanded, um, repeated and expanded uh, with the more diverse group yielding similar results, then perhaps greater credence could be uh, could be lent to these findings. But still, um, the indication seems to be that uh, drinking tea can be good for your health. I don't know, but you're a coffee drinker, aren't you, Mom? Thank you. Uh, actually, um, more of a tea drink. Oh, you are. Say, mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think since I've uh, started to serve in uh, in the offices in the within the community, I've started to change my. Cha I've started to develop a change for coffee or cappuccino or. Oh, okay, cappuccino. Okay. 
So you're quite sophisticated in your, <laughs> in, your uh, soft, in your drinks, in your beverages. Okay, that's but, interesting. But, uh, my my favorite is tea. I, I can't tea, say yes. to tea. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's uh, I must have uh, tea every day. It's uh-huh. just a bit of a daily, daily, daily intake for me. What once a day or? Yeah, once once a day. Definitely. In the morning. In the mornings. Uh huh. And how about yourself? No, I decided not to. I I was a, a regular tea drinker, mm. at least two, possibly three cups a day. Wow. But then uh, I decided to come off it completely. altogether. Completely, yes. Wow. Um, I because I think it um, one of the reasons was um, dependency. Mm. So I didn't like the fact that um, you're completely I dependent was, on it. Yeah, mm. dependent. If you don't drink, if you don't have it, then you feel unwell and you feel uh, less than hundred percent. So that's why I decided not to, not to, um, not to carry on with that habit. Mm. Um, and I was inspired by uh, Tommy Callon, who's mm. uh, our um, um the chairman of the is it the chairman or the president of the uh, uh, pan african pan african yes um so he he said that he didn't drink tea and uh, uh coffee at all and um so that surprised me mm. uh, this was a few years ago and then i thought yeah why not why not adopt that same practice but i do miss it <laughs> yeah uh, so on occasion i if if i'm feeling uh, good then i will have uh, I will treat myself to a cup of tea yeah, I, uh, or coffee. I can't really have tea more than maybe... I, I only have it once. I don't have it more than once. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do have to have it once a day. Mm. Is, is, it is, uh, especially in the mornings. Mm. Yes, yeah, so it's good for, you know, it, it feels good for uh, digestion as mm. well. So when you've had the kind of... Um, um, food that uh, the elders are going to be serving at this istama <laughs> with pie and uh, halwa puri, then a cup of tea would uh, would be good to tea, have tea, afterwards to tea, wash tea, it down. Tea, wash it down. <laughs> oh, what's interesting is though, I'm very um, surprised to learn that, especially within Asia, it's a habit when when you have dinner, then they do give you something hot to drink, such as yes. green tea. And uh, this has always been the case, and uh-huh. what that is very good not only to, in terms of your digestion but also for your arteries, uh-huh. because after you eat food, there is a chance that you know your veins can also maybe you know get clogged up. But eat drinking something warm, what it does is it clears out all your vessels, okay, um, and and just opens it really. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Whereas if if you were to have food. Uh, they do say that it's uh, in terms of your vessels. Your if you drink cold water, it has the complete opposite effect there, really. So okay. you should have something warm after after. Okay, um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, right. Um, uh, moving on, um, there is this uh, issue about Eulers. Uh, it's caused quite a lot of uh, controversy, uh, and uh, people are not happy with uh, uh, being, um, well, being um, accused of uh, contravening uh, the law when they are um, driving with certain types of cars in these particular zones. 
and things have come to a head uh, when the reaction has exceeded to actually vandalizing ULIS uh, traffic cameras. So ULIS uh, ultra-low emission zones uh, that are being applied in London and extended further uh, have had a strong reaction against them. And uh, as mentioned, uh, a number of cameras have been removed or damaged. And according to the Metropolitan Police, a total of 795 crimes have been committed in this respect. And this includes uh, 200 reports of cameras being stolen and 595 being damaged between the 1st of April and, 20, and the 30th of September this year. Although something like a Eurozone is ultimately good for the environment in compelling the public to use environmentally friendly vehicles, the cost, it seems, is uh, unpalatable. Uh, Non-compliant users are obliged to pay £12.50 every time they drive through the zone, and it is one reason why Labour are not able to win, or were not able to win, the by-election in Axbridge recently, uh, so it seems. Uh, protesters have stepped up their efforts to defy the system, uh, so it's not only vandalising the cameras themselves, but they're also cutting wires from the cameras, tearing them down, or spraying them with paint, uh, or uh, expanding foam. But the authorities remain defiant. A transport from London uh, spokesman said that uh, vandalism would not hamper its efforts to detect non-compliant cars. And there have been a number of arrests in this, but it's something that is uh, of concern. Um, and it just shows the depth of feeling that uh, exists around this. Um, and one final story, well, it's of an international uh, international scale disregarding uh, the uh, West running out of ammunition. So this is uh, relating to the war in Europe, uh, Russia and Ukraine. NATO's appetite for pouring more armaments into Ukraine to continue the war with Russia is dwindling. Uh, Adam uh, Rob Bauer, NATO's most senior military officials, told the Warsaw Security Forum held this week that the bottom of the barrel is now visible. He said governments and defense manufacturers now had to ramp up production in a much higher tempo. Uh, Ukraine fires th thousands of shells every day, and most now come from NATO. Uh, UK Defense Minister uh, James Hapey told uh, the forum that Western military stockpiles were looking a bit thin and urged NATO allies to spend 2% of their national wealth in defense as they committed to do. Uh, he added, uh, when it comes, and this is a quote, when it comes to the alliance, the U.S. is increasingly looking east and west. And I think justifiably our colleagues in Congress need to see the European powers are spending uh, their 2% to resource uh, NATO equitably. The UK Defence Ministry says that since the start of the invasion in February 22, the UK has given more than 300,000 rounds of artillery ammunition and is committed to giving tens of thousands more by the end of the year. The US State Department says that over the same time scale, America has given Ukraine more than 2 million NATO standard 155 millimeter artillery rounds. 
The difficulty is that despite attempts to ramp up production, Ukraine is using the ammunition faster than Western powers can replace it. Analysts say that in contrast, Russia appears much more able to gear up its wartime economy to replenish its own stockpiles. The dependency on America, the dependency on America support is inescapable. The worry is that its enthusiasm for this conflict is waning. There is a freeze on its uh, latest financial trance, uh, tranche that it was supposed to be given to Ukraine, and aspects of its um, support uh, uh, is also uh, seems to be cooling. There's an increasing number of Republicans uh, that are becoming indifferent to what is going on in Europe at the expense of what they think is happening south of their border in the United States in their hemisphere. And more than that, if Trump, uh, if we have a second uh, presidency with Donald Trump, uh, then uh, support for the war, a war is almost certain to be nullified. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, uh, the appetite for this war in certain European countries is also uh, diminishing. Uh, both Slovakia and Poland, uh, are, there is election season in their countries, and both have rejected future support for Ukraine in their uh, election uh, rhetoric. So uh, it seems that uh, there is going to be um, uh, some change uh, in the near future regarding this particular conflict. Um, so I think uh, that should conclude the news review, the news that we uh, go through, news that is uh, circulating around in the Amdi Muslim community and uh, the wider media. And we can move on now to look at um, the um, uh, two main stories that we are going to be addressing. The first is concerning uh, work ethics and how often do we follow them. Something we picked up from the BBC website. Uh, it's an article uh, in Work Life. Uh, and it says, uh, well, basically, uh, I suppose the summary of this is that work ethic is knowing that the importance of hard work and diligence have a moral benefit. It means having the motivation uh, to do your best regardless of how difficult the task may be. A strong work ethic includes qualities such as having a positive attitude, being reliable, having integrity, uh, setting goals, preserving, uh, persevering through uh, challenges, taking ownership. It's easy, easy to say you'll leave a job over ethics, but are workers really moving on? This uh, segment, therefore, will be looking at uh, the issues around work ethics, looking at some conditions that make a job ethically good or bad, uh, looking at the impacts of a negative work environment on mental health, and so forth. Well, the key elements of having a strong work ethic um, involves several key elements that enable uh, individuals to achieve success in their careers, and uh, we can enumerate them. One is dedication. So this refers to the level of commitment and focuses one uh, has towards their work. Uh, Self-discipline, this involves the ability to stay motivated and focused even in challenging circumstances. Uh, reliability, this means uh, being dependable and trustworthy in one's work. Integrity is the quality of having strong moral principles and adhering to them regardless of the situation. Goal-orientated, 
being goal-orientated involves setting goals, planning out how to achieve them, and taking action towards those goals. Positive attitude, this is the quality of having a positive outlook on work and life in general, even when times are tough. Uh, there are examples of individuals with strong work ethics all around us. Uh, famous examples include uh, Elon Musk, who's known for working long hours and setting high standards for himself and his team, and Oprah Winfrey, who built her media empire through hard work, determination, and resilience. Uh, the benefits of uh, developing a strong work ethic in business are many. Um, it, uh, a strong work ethic can be ben- can benefit individuals and workplaces in numerous ways from increased productivity, enhanced professional reputation, and credibility, improving the quality of work produced, promoting a positive work culture, and contributing to personal growth and development. Employees with a good work ethic tend to be more productive and efficient because they are focused, self-motivated, and disciplined to work more efficiently and get more done in less time. Uh, Employees with a strong work ethic can enhance their professional reputation and credibility, leading to better career opportunities and higher salaries. Uh, The quality of work can be improved when working with people with a strong work ethic, as individuals with a strong work ethic tend to take pride in their work and strive for excellence. A strong work ethic can contribute to personal growth and development as it instills important values such as perseverance, determination, and self-discipline that can be applied to various aspects of one's life. A strong work ethic can promote good teamwork, responsibility, and accountability, which can all lead to improved morale and job satisfaction among employees. So a whole raft of uh, benefits that can be gleaned from a good work ethic. Um, Imam Toki, shall we uh, listen to um, what uh, Tuti uh, um, said, Tuti uh, Taylor? Yes. Or shall we uh, go for an interview now? Yes, uh, uh, we we have a pre-recorded interview which uh, Brother Walid, you took with mm. uh, with Tuti uh, Tegali, so we're just going to be listening to that now. We have uh, Tuti Tegali on the line. Uh, Tuti serves as a coach to entrepreneurs. Uh, thank you for coming on to talk to us. Uh, Tuti, we are discussing issues around work ethics. Tell me, why, why is work ethics, why are work ethics important? Yeah, I think it really helps also because we throw around the term work ethic a lot. And I define them as the moral principles, values, and attitudes that we have towards our professional life, whether it's at a job, whether it's we've been asked to help a friend move. It's this set of moral principles, values, and attitudes. And it's really important when you're at a job because it is the impression that other people will have of you. This work ethic that you have internally will show externally and It's going to be how other people perceive you, how they think of you, what they say about you when you're you're not in the room. And Mm. it makes sense to have a very good work ethic um, and be seen as having that. And when we come to define work ethics, would we come to a conclusion that is consistent or is it something that is subjective? It's a really good question. Um, Consistency is a good thing. 
because one part of one part of having a strong work ethic is to be, be reliable that other people can see that you are going to show up in the same way over and over time. So the consistency mm. of it really matters. At the same time, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. And part of it, I think, is being able to come back, be open, be honest, and say, hey, I showed up in this way yesterday, last week, because something happened. So I think the answer is both. It is good to be consistent where possible, and we're human. So there are going to be some subjective aspects of it as well. So uh, tell me, how does having a good environment contribute with the physical and mental well-being of, uh, of employees? I look at it as being really symbiotic. The employee is going to show up, contribute a work ethic, a sense of values, but they're in the larger system, the larger system of the environment of, of the workplace. If the environment is clear, if the environment is respectful, if the environment gives employees voices to be heard, gives the employee a lot of autonomy, all of these facets will help the employee's physical and mental well-being really thrive and shine. So I would say it's both. It's inside out for the employee, but it's the responsibility of the organization to create this good environment as well. Right. And the benefits of having a stronger work ethic in an organization, what would you, how would you enumerate them? The organization is here to reach a certain, a certain goal, whether it's financial, whether it's impact-based, and for an organization that's made up of multiple employees to reach that goal, everyone needs to be consistent and on the same page with having the same principles, values, and attitudes. So really, having the strong work, work ethic and making sure everyone's aware of what it is and that it remains consistent, that's going to help an organization reach its goal and bring everyone along for the ride, every single employee along to be bought in and excited to be moving in the same direction together. Mm-hmm. So it, it uh, engenders solidarity as well, um, uh, a sense of achievement, common achievement. Um, okay, and, and what are the key, key traits of, uh, of, of, of a strong work ethic? Yeah, as part of um, the research and what I encapsulated in, in my Harvard Business Review article is that there's four traits of a strong work ethic and especially important for young professionals entering the workplace for the first time. First I talked about was reliability, that your behavior, the way you show up is consistent over time. The second one is, especially when starting out in a career, to be very productive, to be able to come in, work hard, get things done, just demonstrate that you have this solid reputation. A third is to have a sense of ownership and autonomy, really being able to show that you can exercise initiative and show that at the same time, while you can take initiative, you can also take direction from others and learn and improve. It's both of those together. And then finally, being able to collaborate and work with the entire team and not just your individual role. So I believe that these four facets um, are key to a strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. And uh, how would you prescribe limits 
initiative, taking away initiative um, is fine, but uh, it's easy to overstep the mark, isn't it? And do things that you're not authorized to do, which may be harmful to, to the organization. I think it depends on what the, the culture mm-hmm. depends on what the culture of the organization is. Um, if you are starting out in a new organization, I would take baby steps. The first thing really is to develop a good uh, a good collaboration and rapport with your direct manager, your direct boss, and really ask ask questions such as, how much do you want me to take initiative right when I'm mm-hmm. onboarding and learning how to work in this organization? And will that change over time? Would you like me to make suggestions? Um, so mm-hmm. that's, it's that conversation which creates the, the relationship that helps you adjust your own work ethic to the organization's norms. So is this the way that uh, you would expect good employees to develop a, a strong work ethic? and the organization to to um, assist uh, in that, to support that uh, work ethic? Exactly. It's through these conversations between the employee and the representative of the organization, which most often is going to be your direct boss, but it may also be via these conversations with human resources or peers around. It's really that, that, that back and forth and back and forth that helps the employee the best and helps the organization the best because the organization is simply comprised of all of these individuals. I understand you you also serve as coach to entrepreneurs. Um, has your coaching really, uh, what kind of difference has your coaching uh, provided? So I work with a lot of uh, CEOs and co-founders of earlier stage companies in Silicon Valley speak around the Series A investment. And a lot of the impact of this coaching is to help turn up a mirror to say the CEO or co-founder and to provide them with feedback around how their behavior might be impacting and affecting everyone else. Where this shows up is really how they manage the company, how they develop cultural processes around, well, how are we going to hire people? How are we going to let go of someone if that needs to happen? It also shows up in how they communicate, how they communicate with their teams, how they communicate with their companies, and how they communicate with a board of directors who they may may need to be responsible for or shareholders that they may need to be responsible for. And what I find is through coaching, this gives a different perspective to these entrepreneurs and lets them get out of their own head and see different ways of doing things, which develops themselves to have a stronger leadership, stronger leadership and more empathetic listening skills. It's really continuing to learn and grow for, for them as well as for everyone else in the organization. Mm, very interesting. Um, so you found that there, there is something wanting in you know, entrepreneurs that you can provide that they can benefit from? I believe that everyone can benefit from a coach. Every human can benefit from from a coach. And if anything else, entrepreneurs, well, entrepreneurs might need it more because they're under more stress. They're under more pressure. They have to move faster. They have limited budgets and timelines. So when we're in these states of stress and anxiety and pressure, 
think coaching can be even more valuable because without the coaching, we're going to default back to our standard patterns and behaviors. And when we're under stress, it can be the most, the most negative versions of ourselves that show up uh, for the people around us. That is clearly excellent work that you're doing. Uh, thank you very much for coming on and uh, enlightening us about uh, work ethics. I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Happy to be of service. Uh, that was Tulsi uh, uh, Tegoli, uh, a coach uh, <coughs> that we were speaking to earlier. Uh, I'm pleased to note that we have um, uh, Imam Jali Khan, a missionary of the Amdiya community, on the line. Uh, Assalamualaikum, uh, Imam Jali. Jee, waalaikum salam, Yes, I've introduced you as uh, a missionary of the Amdiya community. What, what kind of work are you um, specifically engaged in at the moment? Yes, um, so I am the, in the new uh, MD department in the Uh-huh. Uh, you're fine. And uh, what exactly is the nature of your work or day-to-day work? So, um, by the grace of God, I've been posted uh, this year. So I've been working there for roughly two months now. And... Uh, it's it's it's, it's extremely rewarding. Um, you get to meet and talk to a lot of people, a lot of new converts, and uh, hear their faith inspiring stories. It's very inspirational. Um, one of the key objectives of the new MD department is to um, make sure that each and every MD has the right tools and utensils. Uh-huh. Are you still there? Hello. I think uh, we are having some problem with the line and perhaps we'll we get uh, reconnected very soon. I'm sure Mohamed uh, Shafiq is... Uh, Did I start? I think that, we, well, uh, you were telling us, uh, we were asking you, uh, you were describing the nature, the details of your work in the new Ahmadi department. So if you can just repeat that. If you can also um, have, the, have the phone... If you can but also have the phone, Jalees, close to you. Yeah. Um, I've been working there for the past two months now. And that, um, I think by the grace of Allah that you get to meet a lot of amazing people and you hear their um, stories and their narrations um, and about how they can write it. And uh, you hear about, um, it's, just, it's, it's quite inspirational, faith inspiring. Um, one of the key objectives of the New York Department is that we need to, um, what we'll be trying to do is we enable each and we make sure that each and every UMD has the right tools and utensils um, to progress um, um, as, as a new MD Muslim. So we make sure that, um, for example, not every single, um, so we, we come across certain UMDs who might not know how to recite the Holy Quran or they might not know how, uh, they might not know the words of um, Salat, the, the prayer. So it is our responsibility to um, to, to give them um, each and every single tool of the council in this in this um, in this aspect. Um, apart from that, um, uh, the, the end goal is to um, integrate each and every UMD into the community. Um, okay, we may have to call you again, but um, let's see um, how this proceeds. 
um, um, we're talking about work ethics. Um, what, in your view, uh, are the key tips for a healthy work in, working environment? Yeah, we're, so we're just uh, trying to get uh, Imam Jalis back on just to improve the line there as we are having a bit of technical difficulties. Um, looking at the Islamic perspective when it comes to a healthy work environment, uh, you know, the, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he has explained and he's highlighted the importance that you should treat everyone equally within your work environment. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at one place he said that your employees are your brothers upon whom Allah has given you authority. So if a Muslim has another person under his control, he or she should not overburden them with that. And they cannot bear it. And if, if you do so, help them in their job. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was very clear that... Uh, you know, when when it does come to a work environment, you should not overburden one another, and you should treat everyone equally. Yes, I think uh, we we have uh, Imam Jalis back on the line. Um, can you hear me, Imam Jalis? We're just hoping that we have a better connection this time. Yes, um, can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. Um, before we uh, uh, got cut off, uh, I was asking you about the key tips for a healthy work environment. What, in your view, are the key tips for a healthy work environment? Yes, um, thank you for that. Um, I believe this is a very subjective question. Um, um, each and every single person is different in how they work in the ideal work environment. Um, some people might enjoy um, the chaos and trying to meet um, last-minute deadlines. While other uh, while others enjoy a more um, stable and organised manner to reach their goals and targets, um, I personally believe um, one of the key uh, key things you need for a healthy work environment is um, cleanliness and hygiene. <clears throat> now, most people might not think of this as um, an important um, thing. Uh, however, I believe that if you have a very clean and tidy desk that's very organised, for example. Um, this will have a massive impact on your mental state. We see that the Promised Messiah, so Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Mahmud of Ghadiyan, uh, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he has said numerous times in his books that the exterior surroundings has a massive impact on your interior. So if your external surroundings are clean and tidy, then um, this will impact massively on your interior and your mental state. No, thank you very much. Um, Imam Taki, if you want any questions? Yeah, um, I, I think one uh, question that we wanted to ask you as we are going into uh, the next part of our discussion uh, within this topic, when it does come to uh, work environment or work ethic, when we look at the life of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, we know that uh, he spent his whole life um, in dedication and in discipline in the service of Islam and uh, we know that uh, he wrote over 80 books um, and uh, uh, and tens of thousands of letters delivered hundreds of lectures and engaging in courses of public debates 
Um, so throughout his life, he was very much busy in uh, in defending Islam. Uh, can you shed some uh, light into some of the work of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, Brother Jalis? Yes, absolutely. <coughs> so you, you put it very well yourself, Dr. Uh, um So the promised Messiah Islam has written 91 books. Um, he has written over 2,000 letters um, in regards to the spreading of the message of Islam. Uh, we also see that he has uh, published many many articles. Um, what I find really interesting regarding is the level of um, literary art that he um, used in this. Um, I was actually speaking to an Arab, um, so as I, I think it's very well, uh, I think it's very good if I mention this fact, um, that these books weren't just written in Urdu, but also were written in Arabic and also Persian. Um, and also poetry was also written in these languages. Um, in terms of Arabic, um, uh, an Arabic, sorry, an Arab individual uh, um, actually told me that uh, while reading one of these books um, in Arabic, he came across a word, um, and this word he wasn't able to find in any ordinary dictionary. So he had to go through a very old lexicon to find this word, um, just to show his level and degree um, of his uh, literary uh, might. Um, apart from this. Um, we see how hard he worked um, in terms of these books and his uh, pieces of um, literary, uh, his literary pieces. <coughs> um, we see that at a time where um, there was no internet, there was no Google, there was no Wikipedia, there was no uh, um, AI. Um, he, he would go to search the source. So, for example, if he wanted to find a specific hadith, um, he would go straight to Bukhari or Muslim. So these are books of hadith, and uh, there was no um, obviously use of anything uh, of, of, of any internet or anything like that. Uh, he would go straight to the source. Apart from this, we see, as you, as you mentioned earlier in your question, how you how you phrased it, is that every single second was used for the sake of Islam and defending Islam. We see this in one of his incidents. Um, but while writing um, his pieces, his articles, and his books. Um, he would be pacing in his room um, from, you know, from one side to the other. And what he would do is he would put ink pot on one side of the room and on the other as well. So whenever his um, quill or his bamboo reed would finish, um, um, or the ink would diminish, he would go and dip uh, into the ink pot that was closer to him. So each and every second was used for the sake of Islam, for defending Islam. Great, thank you so much, uh, uh, Imam Jalis. And I think before we do let you go, as we are approaching the eight o'clock news, just very briefly, um, you know, we've mentioned that uh, throughout his lifetime he wrote over 80 books. Can you just briefly explain um, it within a minute or so that what sort of impact did it have on the society? Um, this is a very good question. Um, what we need to first establish is the <coughs> Is the the atmosphere and uh, and, uh, and and the background of what the society actually um, was going through at the time of the problem side of Islam, um, in such a time where Christian clerics were attacking um, Islam, um, along with Hindus, um, certain sects like the Arya Samaj and the Brahmins, 
um, they were attacking Islam, not just Islam, but also the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So roughly around about eight, um, 1880, so 1879, um, Mirza Ulama, he wrote his magnum opus, Brahim Ahmadiyya. And this book was an amazing piece of work. He actually um, defended Islam using logical arguments. We um, uh, defended Islam and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And so much so that even his opponents would come out and say that this book has, is, is, is one of the only books in recent times that has actually defended Islam and no other individual has defended Islam in this way. Great, thank you so much uh, Imam Jalees uh, for joining us this morning and uh, shedding some light on this uh, particular topic and also the life of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Uh, thank you for joining us and uh, have a lovely day. Zaka, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Welcome. 0208687778. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So we are going to be continuing on uh, this discussion uh, after this news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice Islam with Imam Tukit and we and myself, uh, Walid Ahmed. The time is 2 minutes past 8. It's Friday, the 6th of October, 2023. If you want to engage in any of the discussions, then please do uh, take the opportunity to do so. The number to dial is 0208687 Or you can post your comments on X. Uh, the handle is Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we were discussing the uh, subject of work ethics uh, before the news uh, break. Uh, we'll continue with that and I'll hand over what we are now going to be covering to uh, Imam Tukir. Absolutely. And uh, we, we had uh, Imam Jalis on for, for this uh, discussion and we were looking at uh, the life of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, how he spent his his life in uh, his time in uh, that the dedication of of his faith on in defending Islam, um, and if we look at the life of the Promised Messiah peace be upon him, we realize that he did not waste any time. Either his time was occupied in the remembrance of Allah the Almighty. Uh, Imam Jalis mentioned that uh, you know he there would be ink pots if anyone who has the chance to go to Qadian as well you'll see that on one edge there will be an ink pot on the other edge uh, corner of the room there will be another ink pot and the promised Messiah peace be upon him his uh, habit was that he will he will stride back and forth while he is uh, while he was writing his books as well and when the ink will finish he would then dip his uh, ink pen in his ink pot and then start continue um, writing again and uh, there is a very interesting incident which shows his his dedication towards his towards this work uh, of, of defending Islam at that time and it is narrated that once there was a cricket match amongst the students in Qadian and some elders also watched it to encourage the children and the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he did not attend uh, this cricket match. And the son of the promised Messiah asked him that 
Father, that why didn't you not go to, to play cricket? And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, his reply was that they, they will return after the game. But I am playing such cricket which will continue till the day of judgment. Now, this does not mean that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he discouraged children from playing games. In fact, he encouraged them, but he also disliked wasting time. And specifically regarding the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, God Almighty had revealed to him in, in a revelation that you are the Messiah of the time whose time shall shall not be wasted. And we know that uh, when Brother Imam Jalisi was mentioning that uh, he wrote over 80 books and apart from that, you know, delivered many lectures um, and a lot of his books were not only in Urdu but also in Arabic and Persian. Uh, we also know that one of his day-to-day -day tasks was that he also repri replied to hundreds of letters a day. He proofread his own manuscripts and arranged for their publication. And he also personally met and advised a large number of people on a daily basis, cared for his guest, frequented the mosque for the five daily prayers, and conducted the affairs of the community. And all of this was only possible due to the special grace of Allah the Almighty. And uh, his his daughter, uh, his eldest daughter, Noah Mubarak Begum, may Allah the Almighty please with her, she herself states at one place that laziness was never seen in his work. Allah the Almighty had blessed his time with such abundance that one is amazed thinking about it now. And one wonders if those days and nights were of 24 or 48 hours in duration. He would write both sitting down during the day and while walking. And mostly he would write walking to and from. A bottle of ink would be kept on a small table and he used a fine chisel-edged nib and dipped it in the ink while walking and kept writing, all, all the while listening to others talk and responding to them, prescribing medicine to people. It was as if his pen was in the hand of the gracious God. Had it been anyone besides him, they would have lost track of the slightest interruption. Uh, so that was a, a beautiful um, incident which his daughter, his oldest daughter, Nawab Mubarak Begum, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with her mentions regarding the promised Messiah. We also have a small clip for our listeners as well into the life of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. And uh, this is uh, an answer that Hazrat uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the MDM Muslim community, may Allah the Almighty have mercy on him, uh, which he gave. Uh, so we're just going to listen to that. Hazrat Imam Mahdi, as we refer to him, or uh, Al Masjid Mahud. As I've already told you, that he was born in the year 1835 in that house which I mentioned. He had migrated from long ago, in the time of Babur, from Persia, Faris, and had come and settled in the Punjab. When he was born, it was very difficult. There were very difficult times. There were fights and infights between Muslims and Sikhs and the British and the locals and so on. Turbulent times. So, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, right from the beginning, 
was totally dedicated to the service of God and the service of the poor. That we know not only from his own memories, but from the Hindus and non-Muslim people who lived in that township. They have given their testimonies, and I have met some of them myself, who had lived long enough to give their testimony before me, like Baba Malaba Mal, a Hindu leader of Pavyan, and many others, who always mentioned with deep regard and respect Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Why? Because right from his, big, his childhood, he was a man given up to God and his creation. He loved God so much that he kept on studying the Holy Quran day in and day out and Ahadis and Islamic literature and uh, used to go to the mosque. All had left. When all the others had left, he would remain there and start keep on praying you know, individually, Nawafil, etc. So this is the testimony of all the people of Kadyan of that period, that this is how he spent his childhood. His father's testimony is mentioned by some Sikhs who came from other parts of the Kadyan and uh, inquired from his father that we understand we have also a son. We seldom see him. Where is he? What is, what is he doing? <laughs> there were other members of the family who lived like a ro small royal family, but he said, there is one son, we will never see him, but we understand you have. He said he has become a Masitar. Masitar means in the Punjab, in Punjabi language, one who has been wedded to the mosque, one who remains in the mosque and never comes out. So he said, go and find out. Maybe he is wrapped in some mats of the mosque. Because sometimes it happened that while he was, when he was tired, he laid down for a rest and the servant who attended the mosque, he came and rolled down those mats. And it actually happened that once he was rolled in that mosque, that, but he didn't shriek, he didn't protest. Softly, after he left, he came out himself. But this is what I'm t telling you, was his natural childhood, his infancy and childhood. As far as the, uh, his relation to mankind is concerned, it can be seen from this, that he was always sharing his food in the childhood with the poor boys of his age in that area. And it was as if it was a regular practice with him. He never sat with the family members to eat. He said, all right, give me my food, I'll go out and eat. And then he shared it with others. Sometimes he distributed all the food, which was reasonably good family, so the food must have been good by any standards. And ate only some uh, small, you know, what, what, what do they call, uh, grams and maize, etc., which are uh, it was not baked, it was sort of uh, cooked, you know, with sand. It is a custom in our country. I don't know what the, any English word for this. Yes, it is baked. It is in sand. With sand? Yes, it is uh -huh. baked. In your country, yes. the right. So he would buy a very cheap thing, you know, half, half a pesa, 
would be a hundredth part of a penny now, you know. And he bought that, and uh, at that end, then fortunately took all for him. So throughout his childhood, he spent his life like this. When he grew up, his father insisted that he must find some service because he, sa he said that you are worthless as far as our estate is concerned. I can't make any use of you. But other children are growing up and edu getting education and doing things. So you are only for God and this is not according to our family tradition. We are a sort of uh, you know, ruling family, although poor nowadays, but still ruling family. So your behavior is, is, is no credit to us. So he insisted that I'll get you some service in, uh, in, in, in court in Sialkot district, in the city of Sialkot, because he had some influence over here and there. He insisted, first of all, that no, I will not do that. And in answer to this, his insistence once, he wrote only this much, or sent a message, I don't exactly remember, that look here, you ask for my service. I have already been enrolled in the service of God. What other such do you want? But the father insisted. I said, it's my order. He said, all right, if it's your order, then my God tells me that you obey your parents, so I'm going to do that. So he served for a couple of years or so in Sialkot District Court as a sort of clerk or at a small post. But there we find other witnesses outside Kalyan were non-Ahmadis, were people of great respect in that district, and later on some rose to the Punjab fame, were deeply impressed by the quality of his piety. There was an ordinary clerk-looking person, but always he was involved in uh, debates with the Christians representing Islam. So the court was a Christian court, you know. And here was their small employee who spent all his time in taking up the Qadil for Islam and fighting the Christians and challenging them about Christ's claims and this and that and in comparison to the Holy Quran, you know. They said, Bible is just nothing, I can prove it, it's all interpolated and so on. So that was the second phase of his early life. I'll labor this small correction. This Shahadat reached us not from his father from the but from the Sikhs yes. who had visited Kadian who knew him. Then they when later on when Mr. Islam claimed to be this, then they came and said, Look here now we know why. <laughs> why this man was chosen by God? Because this is what we know from his early childhood. Right, so that was an extract uh, from uh, a clip of Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed uh, speaking about his uh, grandfather, the founder of the Amulya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. Um, I think that brings us to the conclusion of this uh, particular segment, Imam Tabir. Yes. Yes, okay, we can carry on and we can move on to the second segment. Uh, this is regarding um, memory. Uh, how does memory work? Gems to attain knowledge. 
so this is uh, something we picked up from one of the uh, uh, websites, the in fact the, uh, the NBC news uh, website, um, and uh, the um, I suppose the gist of what this is saying is that we remember things because they either stand out, uh, they relate to and can easily be integrated in our existing knowledge base, or it's something we retrieve, recount, or use repeatedly over time. And uh, what you can do to help make uh, memory stick, uh, well, some uh, of what determines how well your memory, uh, you remember things, are the genes you're born with. Uh, this is according to uh, Professor Kang, who says, uh, but training can definitely play a role in memory. If you want to hone uh, in your own skills, whether that's for remembering names or facts, here's what might help. So uh, there's a list of what you could uh, do to assist in remembering things. Uh, a good night's sleep um, is uh, something that's um, very uh, beneficial. Decades of research support. The fact that sleep is a critical time when memories consolidate and get stored. And that means missing out on sleep or high enough quality sleep can compromise some of those processes. The National Sleep Foundation recommends getting between seven and nine hours of uh, sleep each night for optimal health and brain function. Uh, regular exercise is also very uh, advantageous when is exercise not good for you. It's important for your heart, your mood, your sleep, and your mind, particularly the part of your mind involving uh, the memory. In one uh, study in middle-aged women with early signs of memory loss, starting a program of regular aerobic exercise actually increased the size of the hippocampus. That's the part of the brain known to be involved in the memory storing process and improved verbal memory and learning scores when the women were tested. And a new uh, 2018 guideline for the American Academy of Neurology recommends regular exercise as one of the things people with mild memory problems should do uh, to help so stop those problems from getting worse or turn into serious neurology, neurological disorders like Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia. Um, repeating or relearning the information later is also something that is useful. Psychologists and others call this uh, one the spacing effect. The idea is that the more you relearn or remind yourself of information again and again, spaced out over the time, uh, the better you retain that information. And mnemonic uh, device, uh, uh, devices or device are also useful. It's easy to remember things that relate to knowledge we already have because we connect uh, we connect it to what we already have stored in our memory. Uh, this is according to another researcher, uh, Potts is the name. And that's why mnemonic, mnemonic uh, devices work. They create a bridge between two pieces of information. Uh, so the quote uh, is that uh, when we want to call that memory uh, to mind, there are lots of different possible routes to it. Uh, if you want to remember the meaning of the Spanish word zumo, uh, meaning juice in English, you conjure up an image in your head of sumo wrestler drinking juice. Uh, when you hear the word zumo, you might then think of that sumo wrestler drinking this piece 
uh, this this juice and remember the meaning of the word. Uh, so that's what's meant by mnemonic, uh, an example of it. Anyway, uh, we can discuss this uh, further with uh, Professor uh, Edwin Robertson, who's, I understand, on the line with us. Um, thank you very much, uh, and Professor Robinson, for coming on. Uh, sorry, Robertson, I do apologize, uh, for coming on uh, to speak to us. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> no, thank you. It's a pleasure. How does the uh, process of encoding memories in the brain occur? And uh, what are the specific uh, mechanisms or regions that play a crucial role in this initial stage? Um, so memories are a, a, a bit like pathways in the snow. So if you imagine a, a park that gets a lot of snow on it on one's winter's day, then initially it's really difficult to find how to get to the shops or to a school or to your home. But as people come out after the snow, they start creating pathways to all of those important places. And in some senses, that's what a memory is like. It's a pathway that's able in the brain to take you from one place to another or from to connect different areas of the, of the brain together in much the same way as you're connecting the post office to the supermarket, the school to your home. Uh, by creating pathways in the snow. And these pathways in the snow are far faster than if you had to wade through three feet of snow yourself. And so it means that things become quicker and faster and you're able to, to, to find Spanish names so much uh, more readily. And so what's happening inside the brain is that the, the connections between brain areas are being improved um, are being more, made more efficient and faster in order for you to connect different brain areas and therefore different types of information together. Mm -hmm. uh, and can you explain the concept of memory, uh, memory consolidation, and what processes transform short-term memory into more stable long-term memories? So, I mean, maybe in some senses to go back to the the idea of, of memories being pathways in the snow. If you imagine on a, that these pathways have, have been created, but then there's a great gust of, of wind that causes the snow to come back into those pathways and obliterate them. That is, in some senses, like an unstable memory. Nothing has been stabilized, and so the pathways can be moved and altered very easily. But what happens during consolidation is a, is a bit like a, a late frost, so that the pathways of snow become solidified by freezing. And in the brain, what happens is um, there are mechanisms that allow uh, an initially fragile memory or, or pathway uh, to become solidified as though it's been frozen in the ice. Um, and in that way, you're able to create a memory that endures in much the same way as you create a, might create a, a pathway to the, the local school that endures because it's been frozen in, in ice. And um, tell me about um, age. Why do, are these processes affected due to age? Um, 
that's a, a, a good question. It may not simply be someone's age. I mean, some people age very, very well, and their memory endures very, very well. Whereas other people might not age as well. And so it may be uh, simply a, a demonstration that the person's not aging as well as they might. Um, it, it leading to problems with, with people's memories. Hmm. And why is it that uh, memories, um, with especially with older people, they're more difficult to recall that are recent as opposed to those memories that have uh, that have that relate to something that happened in the childhood. Those memories seem to be very firm, where those memories relating to recent events seem to be very feeble. I mean, it, it could be, for example, that the the mechanisms that that really support. Uh, the formation of, of new memories are more affected by aging, whereas those yes. uh, longer-term memories are stored within mm. um, systems that are invulnerable to the aging process. Mm, that, that makes sense. Uh, my, my, my colleague has a few questions as well, if you don't mind. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, easy ones, I'm sure. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, good morning, uh, Professor Robinson. Hi, good morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how do experiences and learning shape the structure of neutral networks related to memory? Um, so, and it, mm, so we have, inside the brain, there are, are lots and lots of cells uh, called neurons. And those uh, neurons talk to one another through chemicals uh, that are transmitted across gaps between them uh, called synapses. And, it, and as we learn, those synapses can increase in number. They can also in, um, increase in their strength. So in much the same way as I was talking earlier about pathways in the snow, it's these synapses that uh, are, the, are in some senses what are critical for improving the pathways between different brain areas. So as you get more and more uh, synapses or stronger synapses, it's a bit like getting a bigger and stronger pathway between different parts of a, of a town or, or city. Um, often uh, when we're learning things uh, you can increase the number of the synapses or increase the strength of those synapses and there's increasing evidence that in actual fact you can also increase the number of cells so new cells are, are born or created within the brain to actually hold additional information so there's one of these processes was called synaptogenesis uh, the creation of new synapses uh, another aspect is, is neurogenesis, where you're actually creating whole new cells. Um, and so combined, those are largely, or, or make up at least some aspect of uh, how a, a network is, 
a neural network is affected by uh, a memory. I'd also say that ex an experience, whether it's like uh, an everyday experience in which you go for a run or uh, go for a walk or something can actually create, help to create blood vessels around, uh, around cells. This is a process called angiogenesis. Those blood vessels and the creation of those blood vessels are related to e everyday experiences and can actually or could potentially help uh, resistance to such events as a stroke because you're increasing the, the vasculature, the, the blood vessels that help to, to keep brain cells alive. Absolutely. And, and just following on from that question, what implication does this have for enhancing cognitive function or addressing memory-related disorders? So, um, brain health is, is body health, as it were. So, anything that can improve your, your body health or your cardiovascular health is very likely to improve your brain health and, and help to stave off uh, di diseases such as Alzheimer's. One of the an important modifiable risk for something like Alzheimer's is, is increased blood pressure during middle age. So if you exercise and you have a good diet and you uh, take appropriate periods of rest, then you can help to maintain a healthy blood pressure and so help to maintain a healthy brain. The same is true for ensuring that you get enough sleep, um, get enough social interaction, all of these things can help to, to improve not only your mind, your, your mind and brain, but also your body. So the two um, work hand in hand to, to help one another. Is that, I worry that I'm not fully answering questions. So if there's... No, no, you're, do, you're doing very well, thanks. Um, very beautifully explained. Um, so you mentioned that uh, sleeping is, is a good way of uh, having good memory. What, what other factors uh, affect how our memory works or how does it improve? Uh, so th things like exercise can certainly or is believed to, to improve memory. How exactly it does this, we don't know. We think that it might improve it because of increased uh, oxygenation or um, there's also evidence that uh, through exercise you increase um, factors that help to stimulate growth of, of nerve cells. So there's a, a factor called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but... Essentially, what it does is it, is it stimulates or encourages the growth of brain cells, and that's associated with, with uh, some types of exercise. Um, I think that um, beyond exercise and sleep, social interaction is meant to help people uh, maintain a, a healthy brain uh, because people challenge us and we are challenged by people. Um, and so that can help, again, maintain a, a healthy brain function, not only about your memory, but just more broadly about your ability to, to think and move and act 
um, as well as to, to remember things. Thank you for that, Professor. Um, just one last question from my side, and I'll pass the mic on to my host, Brother Walid. Um, what are your views on muscle memory? Uh, a lot of things we do on our day-to-day lives uh, because of muscle memory, we don't really think about it. We just know what we're doing. So can you shed some light on muscle memory? So I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think muscle memory is, is, is perhaps part of a, a wider bucket, as it were, of memory types, which is um, implicit memory or what a lot of people would see as intuition, um, that we pick up on, on patterns within the world. Some of those patterns are perhaps when we're doing sport, and, and that's why it's, it's ended up with the term muscle memory. Mm. But you can imagine people pick up on patterns in other people's behaviors, and you can have an intuition about what your, your friend or your colleague is about to do next. And as you say, because we're not aware of it, um, it ends up not advertising itself particularly well, but at the same time, it can have a very important influence on our behavior. Sometimes that can be a really great uh, influence on our behavior because it, it, it allows us to act rapidly and intuitively, perhaps to take people out of danger or uh, play a magnificent piece of music without really having to, to think too hard about every single movement. But it can also lead to, to bias in how we act because we're just not really aware of maybe some of the the connections and the false connections and the false relationships that we have, have built up over time. And so I, I think it's an enormously important and interesting uh, aspect of, of our, our memory generally and, and really goes from everything from how we play sport or play the piano all the way to, to the social interactions that we have with people and that these have a, a pervasive uh, and really important influence on on how we live our lives. Uh, um, professor, um, can I ask you? Do you think that new technology is uh, affecting the way that uh, our memories are working or our memories are used? I'm thinking particularly about well, mental arithmetic used to be quite important uh, when I was young. Uh, but the use of calculators means that you don't have to be that much uh, uh, adept at it. Uh, similarly, with information, you don't have to retain that much information because you, will, you can always resort to Google and get that information. Do you think this is affecting the way that we're using our memories? And so I think it's an enor- a really important and interesting question about how technology influences what we do. Um, I, I think that the, I, I think your your question is well phrased and really timely. We just don't have an answer to the question. If the question is, is does it? I don't think we know. Could it? I think it's a a really interesting, important topic of of potentially further work to work out how, mm-hmm. if at all. Uh, having tools such as Google are affecting how much information we're retaining in our brain 
and perhaps to ask a question about what is the best way of doing this? What are the sorts of things we should be, uh, to take your example of, of mental unzipping, what sort of things should we be expecting uh, kids and, and students to, to retain? And what sort of things, is it perfectly appropriate for it to be to be placed uh, within some sort of search engine? I mean, the, the flip side to all of this is, can you imagine a, a world in which we didn't have any electricity? <laughs> then we would potentially lose not only your bank account, you'd have no money, you'd have no way of, of, of paying for groceries, but you'd also have potentially lost all human knowledge because we keep it all within an electronic framework. And I think that that, uh, that to me is, is an even more worrying part of, of how we deal with information in, in the modern age is mm. how vulnerable it becomes to potentially being lost because we lose access to it um, if it's all placed within an electronic framework. Mm. Uh, now, you're, you're a professor of brain and cognitive uh, sciences at the University of Glasgow. Uh, what is, can you give us uh, an insight into the latest uh, research in this area and what you're looking at at the moment? Um, I mean, I think what uh, a lot of people are interested in is um, there's been... 20 years or so of people looking at sleep and memory. And um, I think that's going through a particularly large period of, of, of interest and excitement through the, the community. I think that um, another area that, that people are really interested in is uh, a phenomena called memory replay, where uh, after forming a memory, the, the, the patterns of, of brain activity during the formation of that memory are reinstantiated or reoccur uh, after they've been after the memory has been formed so for example if you might learn a, 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 a learn how to play the piano then even after you've gone off and collected your kids from school or something parts of that piano piece are, are still playing through uh, those circuits within your brain and the, 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 the questions are you know, what does that enable people to do and a lot of contemporary research is asking the question of it seems as though that allows you to, to develop a, a flexibility to your, um, your memories allowing perhaps you not only to be very skilled at that particular piece that you practiced, but many other different types of of music um, and and sonatas. So perhaps not just being able to play uh, that classical piece, but also being able to play a piece of jazz as well. Mm. So I think these are are two uh, fairly large areas of, of fundamental research that that are attracting a lot of interest just now. Um, the importance of, of these so-called offline periods, whether they be during uh, sleep, which is one brain state, or during wake, which is another brain state. Great. No, thanks. Thanks very much for that. Uh, it's, been very, it's been very informative uh, talking to you, uh, Professor Robertson. 
Uh, wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much for coming on to okay. speak to us. Thank you. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Uh, over to you, Mahathir, uh, for the Islamic uh, viewpoint. Yes, for, for this uh, topic, uh, the Islamic perspective we are looking at uh, is uh, gaining knowledge and what does Islam say with regards to uh, gaining knowledge. If we look at the Holy Quran, the Holy Quran urges all believers to think, observe, reflect and to exercise their rational faculties. Then there is the knowledge man acquires through learning and experience using his intellect and reason given to him by Allah the Almighty. And this is mentioned in chapter 76 verse 4 of the Holy Quran. So knowledge bestows understanding and a person with knowledge is better than the one who is without it. As Allah the Almighty uh, says in the Holy Quran in chapter 39 verse 10 that in the name of Allah the Gracious the Merciful that is he who prays devoutly to Allah in hours of night, prostrating himself and standing in prayer and fears the hereafter and hopes for the mercy of his Lord, like he who is disobedient. Say are those who know equal to those who know not. Verily, only those endowed with understanding will take heed. So, knowledge is power and man can rule forces of nature through knowledge. As a matter of fact, the whole universe has been created to serve man. And uh, this is also mentioned in the Holy Quran. Allah the Almighty says that in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, that Allah is he who has subjugated the sea to you that, uh, that ships may sail thereon by his command and that you may seek of his bounty and that you may be grateful and he has subjected to you whatsoever is in the heavens and whatsoever is in the earth all this is from him in that surely are signs for those who reflect and further uh, to add to to this these points if we look at the life of the holy prophet peace be upon him he also um he also encouraged and instructed his companions as well to seek knowledge. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, even said that even if you have to go to China to seek knowledge, you should do so. And at that time, going 1400 years back, the best mode of transport was not through aeroplanes or through ships or uh, through cars, but at that time it was through horses and camels and quite often uh, even to go within within the country itself it would take days and for the holy prophet peace be upon him to say that even if you have to travel as long as china uh, you know you should to gain knowledge you should do so that would have taken that would have taken months and uh, you know it would have taken a long amount of time um and so for the holy prophet peace be upon him to say that it means that even if uh, someone has to go through difficulty to attain this uh, knowledge to attain knowledge this blessing then they should do so and uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him also he instructed the literate the well educated that they should um, teach the illiterate and this helped the weak amongst the society to stand and advance 
and uh, we find an example that during the battle of Badr uh, which took place on the 18th month after migration of the Prophet he said that even the prisoners which were taken captives at that time the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he provided ransom to those who were literate and he said to them that they should first teach the illiterate members of the society and uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he said that the word of wisdom is lost property of a Muslim so that wherever he finds that he should take it as he is most entitled to it. And uh, in one of the Friday sermons uh, of the fourth caliph, and may Allah have mercy on him, he said at one Friday sermon delivered on the 11th of May 1990, he said that there are two ways to gain knowledge of faith. And he, he said that first he mentioned those group of people who decide that no matter where they are, they will achieve this distinction and secondly those group of people that they will form groups and they will travel for the sake of gaining knowledge of faith and they will return to spread that knowledge so not only does uh, does you know the the holy quran mention that you should gain knowledge but also you should benefit the society as well um at large and this is one of the main fundamentals of religion as well that that you should give due rights towards Allah the Almighty and that you should give due rights towards his creation and even when it comes to a wise person or a person who has gained knowledge Islam says that you should not only keep that to yourself but also benefit the society with it help others and uh, make them literate as well spread knowledge within them as well and I guess when we do talk about Islam, a allegation which is leveled against Islam by certain critics is that they say that it is a backward and a and a religion which is outdated, and one of those that does not promote intelli- inte- intellectual advancement. But we see that when we do study um, Islam itself, that is far from the truth. Um, and those critics that do level such allegations, we know that they do this without looking into Islam, without having knowledge of it whatsoever. The Holy Quran, at countless places, it teaches us that we should seek knowledge, we should pray that uh, Allah the Almighty, um, that we increase our knowledge. And there is a be- this beautiful prayer which has been taught to us in the Holy Quran in chapter 20, verse 115 where the Holy Quran teaches us that O Lord increase me in knowledge and Muslims they recite this on on a frequent basis and at another place in the Holy Quran in chapter 3 verse 191 um, the Holy Quran it, it tells the Muslims it tells the people that we should ponder over the universe and we should study it and he alludes our attention to this in this in this particular reference where Allah the Almighty says that in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful that in the creation of heavens and the earth and in the alternation of night and day there are indeed signs for men of understanding so here Allah the Almighty is encouraging men that we should look into into the creation of the universe and it was after the advent of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that we 
saw an advancement not only in uh, religious knowledge but also in secular knowledge. For example, we find that the first camera which was developed by Ibn Haytham and his revolutionary work was recognized by UNESCO when he was declared as a pioneer of modern optics. And it was interesting to note that the word camera is derived from the Arabic word camera, um, which means, uh, when I mentioned this as well, but <laughs> Willie asked me what it means. It means to give light. So we know that when, <laughs> yeah. So we know that when you know when you click the button of the camera, uh, a flicker of light will appear straight mm. away. Mm. So that is why uh, it, we know that when we say camera in Arabic, the the word cam- camera does justice to it as well because in, in even in uh, Urdu we say kamar and that refers to the moonlight and that light shines forth from the light itself and notice how the light of the moon as well is it it, it comes at a particular direction um, and that itself uh, is exactly what the camera does as well when you when you click uh, the button so there are also others who have recognized the works of such Muslim scholars even to this day. For example, a New York Times article published by uh, their science reporter Dennis Overby. He mentions that the role of Muslim polymath Al-Tulsi. The author states that Al-Tulsi published many great works on astronomy, ethics, mathematics, philosophy, uh, marking him as one of the great intellects of his age. And Muslims created a society that in the Middle Ages was the scientific center of the world and the Arabic language was synonymous with learning and science for 500 years, a golden age that can among us credits for the pursuers to modern universities. So I think with that uh, we can... We can um, close this uh, Islamic analysis as well and even if we look at uh, the auxiliary organizations within the community as well uh, as we were mentioning just last weekend we had the MD Muslim Youth Association as well so um, you know I, I was serving in the academics department and one of the role the academics department is itself plays is looking after the um, you know the not only religious knowledge but also secular knowledge of the youth as well so that is why we had different um competitions such as the quiz competition where not only religious knowledge was tested of the youth members but also uh, their religious um their, their secular knowledge as well and how it worked was that we had teams 24 regions from around the country Scotland Manchester um we had regions from London as well, so altogether 14, 24 regions and everyone com- competed against each other um, and uh, the the winners were then given a prize, mm. first, second and third prize. No, not hamburger. <laughs> no, 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 any burger. burger meal, uh, oh. <laughs> so the, this, this itself, you know, these uh, such events, they encourage, um, uh, they encourage members as well that, you know, they should increase their their knowledge and they should work hard towards that so uh we'll, we'll i mm. think i'll close it with do, that do you have you know when we uh, we used to have uh, a memory competition as well where 
uh, a series of objects used to be put on the table. Uh, people were invited to come and look at uh, what's there. And they had to then go away and write down what they could remember. Did you, did you have this competition <laughs> this time? We actually <laughs> had it this year. We we oh. It was called the observation test. So we haven't had that in uh, in quite some time but uh, we were told um that this year we should we should have uh, a test where which tests the memory um of the of the youth members so we made this observation test where they watched a video and uh, they had to answer five questions um and this whole round was in total was 20 uh, mark questions and we tested not only their memory but also their 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 different senses as well, such as their taste. Their so they were eating different flavor skittles, mm-hmm. and they had to guess which flavor it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we also tested their smell. So there were different candles, different flavors, such as um, mango or or vanilla, like different different flavor uh, candles, and they had to smell it and des- decide which flavor it is and then lastly there was also um a round where they had to touch different objects and say what it is for example blindfolded they had to touch if it's a pen they should they would say it's a pen or a rubber and based on that they would get 20 uh they they would get uh, a answers from 20 20 questions I think the highest one was 17 17 marks really someone someone got 17 uh-huh. no one got full marks no one got no, no. I'm not surprised. Yeah, so it's quite difficult. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and um, what about um, passing the message? So this is. Where, <laughs> uh, did you have that as well? We we had that as well. That's okay. actually one of our one of our favourites uh, uh-huh. when we do do it. A lot of a lot of regions do compete in that as well. So. Okay. So where you have a message delivered to to one person who then gives it to a second and yes. a third and a fourth. Yes. And then uh, you read, uh, and the last one writes down the message. Writes down the message. And you compare that with the original message. And Absolutely. See, yeah, and that, yeah, that can, yeah, it used to be very amusing in our day, but it still retains its uh, amusement uh, nowadays as well, I uh, understand, but that's good. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, we have to now uh, c- uh, come to the concluding uh, part of this show, which is essentially where we thank those who have contributed to this uh, production. Uh, in particular, our producer, Basirat uh, Siddiqui, is uh, worthy of our thanks, as are her researchers, uh, Faiza and Tahrim. So our gratitude to them for uh, their hard work in uh, producing this uh, this particular show. Um, Muhammad Shafiq is also worthy of our thanks because he made sure, uh, by God's grace, to uh, make sure that uh, everything ran smoothly as far as the technical side of uh, the proceedings were concerned. Um, and uh, we shouldn't forget uh, those people who contributed uh, to uh, coming on to the show and uh, improving our understanding of the subjects that we were discussing. So the first subject that we looked at was work ethics. How often do we follow them? And we were assisted in our understanding of this subject by Tuti Tegali. She's uh, a coach for entrepreneurs. Uh, we spoke to her earlier and we shared uh, her views on this uh, through the recording that we were able to air. 
Then we also spoke to Imam Jalis Khan, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, working with the new Ahmadis, those people who've entered the fold of the community. Um, so it was an interesting uh, chat we had with him uh, concerning uh, work ethics. And uh, in the second part of the program, we looked at uh, memory and uh, how it works uh, and gems of attaining knowledge. We uh, spoke uh, to Professor Edward Robertson in this uh, regard. He's a brain and uh, cognitive uh, sciences uh, professor at the University of Glasgow. And it was quite interesting to uh, find his take on this particular issue. So lastly but not least, we should thank, we feel uh, that we should thank our listeners for staying with us during the course of this program. I hope you found it informative and and inspirational. Um, We will be back again, uh, Imam Tokir and my, uh, next week on on Friday. But uh, we will be continuing with the breakfast show Monday to to Friday with other presenters uh, during the course of next week. Uh, Do join us. Uh, there will be a short interlude before we go on to the uh, news. So until next time, it's Salam Alaikum from both myself and Imam Tuki. Salam